0: You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit LifeNZ.org. Well, thank you. Well, please be seated. Count me in. Put me on that list. Give me a card to fill in. I love it. You know, um, in that last session, youth, young adults... I was setting you up for life, right. yeah. like literally. You you grasp those biblical principles, and uh, build on that, and understand. You know, let let it be stuff that I, that I learned later in life, and some of us are still learning. To get that when you're in those early sort of um, formative years, yeah. is is huge, and uh, you know that's what we're called to do. I don't want to take as much time in this session, because uh, I, I want us to have a time just to pray. And then tonight, we really want to see a real encounter service. Uh, I already know what God's put on my heart to, to share and to minister around. And tonight, we're really going to minister. But even in this session, but I want to almost do like a part two. And then, and then let's pray, you know. Let's, let's soak in the stuff and get the stuff right into us. Um, one of the great challenges is in the first session, I basically told you that our whole mandate is to build something. To build something. And and I share with you a few key principles. You see, everything we do, our practices, our habits are based on our belief systems, and our belief systems should be based on our theology, what we understand about God, about God's intention. The kingdom of God, the universe is is designed to flow in a certain way. When you cooperate with the kingdom, with God's word, with God's will, things just happen. They work. The kingdom way is the right way. When you swim against that, you know, you, you can have initial... Um, return, you can have seemingly some effect, but pretty much within a period of time, things just work against that you know, and you, you find yourself striving and, and not achieving and so even within this context of being called to build something there 's still two ways you can build so you could go away from that session going oh man that 's flipping awesome god 's called me to build the best relationships, the best career, the best church, the best life the But my question now is, how do you build? And I want to take you for a moment into one of the most interesting, drama-filled passages of the Word of God. It's in a chapter in Genesis called chapter 11. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. And it's one of the most misunderstood passages. We often quote, rightfully so, as I do. You know, that whole aspect of unity where God says, man, if, you know, if everyone's unified in one heart, there's nothing they can stop. And we've created this, this understanding like that God had something against the tower. You know, what's the problem? Well, these people, they started to build a tower, a tower of Babel. And God's like, oh, my goodness. They're trying to build something that will reach heaven. They're trying to aspire to something that's, that's, that's immense. Let's go and screw it up for them. That's how we often think, that God's like afraid of heights. Oh my goodness, these people are building something really big, a tower that could reach heaven. We can't have that. And we get this theology that's mixed up, like God doesn't want you to succeed. Like God doesn't want you to do big. So, you know, as Pastor Craig talks about, this church is going to grow and, and continue to prosper. And it's going to grow in people and it's going to grow in life. It's going to grow in effect. It's, and then someone's like, oh no, that, that's, just, that's just not God, man. I mean, you know, that's just us trying to be ambitious. And we think God has a problem with heights. And the reason why is because we see in the scripture that it's like these people get together and start to build something really magnificent, something huge. And we go, well, God didn't like that. No, no, that's not what that Bible and that chapter teaches. It's actually not a story about a tower. It's a story about a city. And I want to read it to you in Genesis chapter 11. Now, the whole world had one language, one speech. And as the people moved eastward, They found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. They said to each other, hey, come on, let's make bricks, let's bake them. Let's use brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Verse five, but the Lord came down to see the city And the tower the people were building. And then God said, if the people speaking one language have begun to do this, nothing they plan to do will be impossible. So come, let's go down and confuse their language so they won't understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. The city. Not the tower, the city. I told you that the cultural mandate was to build. God put mankind on the earth and said, go and be fruitful, make something great, realize its potential, do all this, have dominion, take control. I told you that even after the fall of mankind, God restored that mandate, even with Noah. His next words were, hey, go and build something, go and prosper, go and increase, go and realize. What I just read you in Genesis 11 follows the Genesis 9 and 10 of the people emerging out of Noah. It says they moved. They moved. Through the land, as was God's purpose, what he did, the prototype in Genesis in Eden, he wanted to do. They started to build something, a city. They're actually starting to fulfill God's mandate. And then God comes down and goes, no, 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 no. We've got to stop this. So either God is schizophrenic. Either God has, like, changed his mind. Or the issue wasn't the building. The issue was how they were building and why they were building. I love etymology. Etymology is the study of words. Did you know in the Hebrew word, the word for city, you know, a gathering, a community, is the word or, O-R-R. It means a place to awaken and live. A place to awaken and live. We're called to build a city. We're called to build a church. It's like a city, a a metropolis, a gathering of people where people come alive and begin to live, to awaken. It's interesting in our sort of terminology, often we refer to our homes or our towns, our communities, our cities as a place to lay our heads. In the Hebrew, it's not about going to sleep, it's about waking up. And a city is about a place. Let's create something. So when this church is built and is being built, We come together not just to find a place to lay our heads, a place of comfort and security and care. That's an element. No, no, this house, life, this church, this community, this metropolis, this city, this gathering of people is a place where people will come to live, to awaken, right? So these people in Genesis were not doing anything wrong. They were actually fulfilling God's mandate. They started to come together and build something. There's only one problem. And if you want a little title for this second part of the message, the title is Towers and Temples. Towers and Temples. Because I wanna say to you in your life, your church, your family, your career, your relationship, your cosmos, there is no limit to how big you can build. If you will build it with a temple at the center, not a tower. This is what it said in Genesis as we read it. The people came together. They started to build, verse four, build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven so that we may make a name for ourselves. The one fundamental flaw was in what they were building and their aspiration to even achieve amazing things in what they were building. They missed the purpose. They said, you know, as we gather, as we do this, as we find a place and build a place to live, to awaken, hey, right at the center, let's build a tower in it to make a name for us. The word there for name is Shem. It means fame and reputation. If you wanna build in your life, And if this, whether it's subconscious or conscious motivation is, you know what? Because if I can be successful, if I can achieve this business, if I can can get that relationship, if I can have this career, because then it's going to all be about how I am, my fame, my reputation, you have just undermined your life. There's nothing wrong with the building. There was not even anything wrong with the height they wanted to achieve. Because the whole thing is in trying to even reach heavens. God had no issue with height. I'll show you in a moment how Genesis 11 is not a tale of a city. It's a tale of two cities. It's interesting. And it proves the fact that God has no problem with heights. Because the first half is about the people who did it wrong. The people who said, let's build a city and, and make it all about us. And at the very center, let's build a tower to make fame and reputation about us. The second part of Genesis 11 is when this first group screw up. God goes and finds Abraham and his father Terah and calls them out of a place of insignificance and calls them to come into a promised land. It's interesting that we're told in Hebrews that Abraham was looking to build a city whose founder and author and architect was God. It's a tale of two cities. The first half, a tale of the city of man, The second half of the chapter, a tale of the city of God. And remember, when Abraham first came into the promised land, his very first steps into Canaan, he lived in a tent. God came, took him out of the tent, stuck his thumb under Abraham's chin, lifted his head to the heavens, and said, you want to know how big you're going to build? Abraham, see the stars. If you can count them, what you produce and your descendants is actually going to outnumber this. So can you understand the contrast for a minute? In the same chapter of Genesis 11, we've got people building trying to reach the heavens. And it's like God says, no. Yet he comes to Abraham, lifts up, and shows him the heavens and says, reach it. Go after that. So don't tell me having a big life is against God's purpose. Don't tell me having an aspiration to have the most phenomenal career is, a, is, is not of God. Don't tell me about having the largest fruitfulest, most productive church is not, no, no, it's all God's. If the motivation is whose fame is at the center, whose purpose. See, what's amazing about this whole thing is that in every area of our life, we will always have a choice between what we place at the center. Solomon built a city, still today regarded as the most prosperous city this world has ever known. He built the city, and the thing he put it at the center was not a tower. It was a temple. And you know how I shared with you that when these men started to build or these people started to build in Babel, and they said, you know, the center of this tower is going to be a monument to our fame. We will build this to make a name for ourselves. If you have time and you read through all the chapters leading up from David to Solomon to building the city of Jerusalem, and building the temple. David says, God doesn't deserve to live in a tent. We're gonna build him in this temple. He passes that mandate to his son. If you do a careful study, you will read at the inauguration, the opening ceremony, the request for resource from the people, Solomon had one language, and it was always this. You know how God put in my father's heart to build a house for his name. How David said to Solomon, We will build a house for the name of God, a house for his name. The temple was known as the house for God's name. Again, the word, God's fame, God's reputation. And it's like David says to Solomon and Solomon says to the people, this city that we're building, this place of prosperity, this place of alive and living, this place of of increase and, and realization of purpose at its center, we're gonna build a house and that house is gonna be about the fame. The reputation of God. And then nothing stopped. More came in than they needed. Its influence increased. It became the center. We had kings and queens from all over the world would come to the city to see this house and see the temple. It's interesting how it talks about how even the, the Queen of Sheba was amazed at the pathways that led from the palace to the temple and from the houses. You see, the world will come and look at your life. They'll come and look at your church, they'll come and look at your marriage, they'll come and look at your kids, they'll come and look at your sport, they'll come and look at the cosmos of your world, and they'll look for the pathways that connect from this to God, and from this to life, and all of a sudden they're overwhelmed, and they're like, man, even the half of it's not yet been told. They didn't come to Solomon to look at a monument to David. They didn't come to look at a monument to Solomon and his wisdom. He had this grace on him as being the wisest man before and since. But there was no monument built to his wisdom. He just put right in the center this temple. And so I wanna ask you this question. What does it mean to build that way? What does it actually mean To build a life where God is at the center? What does it mean to build a relationship where God is at the center? What does it mean to build a marriage, a family with God at the center? What does it mean to build a career? What does it mean to build a business with God at the center? And what does it mean to build a church or a ministry where God is at the center? Well, this is what it means. It means that at the center of everything we're called to build, we build a house for his presence, a house for his fame, a house for his His glory. You see, the difference between a tower and a temple is God lives in a temple. God's there. It's the simplest, most basic message I can share with you. Martin, what's the, what's the key to a successful business? Martin, what's the key to a successful relationship, a successful career? The answer is simply this. Does God live there? What does that mean? What does it look like to have God's presence? You know, one of the most amazing things is that I can prove to you that this is how we're meant to build because it's God's way. Because God had a choice when he created you. Notice it said in Genesis 11, it says the people didn't use stone, they built out of the earth, they built out of of the ground, the clay, they made bricks of clay, and then they built a tower, not a temple, they built a monument where God wasn't inside it. In Genesis 2.7, it says man said let's make mankind in our image, and it says that God reached into the earth, the clay. And he formed man. In other words, he formed him out of earth, just like they formed a tower out of earth. And all God had was a monument. A clay, earthly form called man. And then God turns it into a temple. He breathed himself in. He breathed the spirit into Adam. And Adam became a living being. When you build, the reality is you're going to build with clay. You're going to build with ordinary. Your business is going to be the same as the person building across the road. You're going to build teams. You're going to build marketing. You're going to build opportunity. You're going to have all these same things. It's still going to be earth. But if you breathe into it, God's presence, God's lordship, the relationship you form is going to have the same basis as the person who forms a relationship who's godless and has no interest in God. It's going to have elements in it of romance and, uh, and sexuality. It's going to have elements of communication and romance. But it's God in it. I remember years ago as a young adult pastor, somebody said to me, Martin, why does God say that you, you shouldn't be unequally yoked? Why does God say you should have to marry another Christian? I'm like, well, you've got to understand. Every relationship, every human is made of three forms spirit, soul, and body spiritual, emotional, physical. The thing about a Christian and a non Christian relationship is a non Christian relationship can have just as good a physical, sometimes even a better, just as good an emotional. I mean, the reality is sometimes non Christians are nicer than Christians. I know that. I'm a pastor. You can't tell me, I can't say to that 18-year-old girl, don't date that 21-year-old non-Christian because he's, he's not nice. No, sometimes he's nicer than some of the 21-year-old Christian boys, yeah. right? Often not, but sometimes. Yeah. The thing is, the reason it's an unequal yoking is no matter how good emotionally, how good physically that relationship can be, if there's no spirituality, at best that person in an unequal relationship is only going to have a two-thirds relationship. And the spiritual is the hub. But the reality is you can go and build a relationship with clay. But all you're ever going to have is a monument. Until you've got a relationship that God's breathed into. Where his presence is invited. And then that becomes a life-giving spirit. It's the same as your vocation. It's the same as your relationships. So to be honest, everything about building God's way is getting his presence into it it's the most conscious decision. And then what happens is there is no limit. There is no limit. You become more than an overcomer. You have the best. You see, one of the greatest weapons and one of the greatest instruments to see nations discipled is your life manifesting God's presence and favor and success. That's the thing. We, we had that prayer meeting you know, two nights ago in Auckland and my wife and I were asked to pray for families uh, and lead, lead the crowd in prayer for families. And the first statement I made when I got up there is I said, look, the, the default setting of every Christian when you pray for families is we pray from a basis of, of defense. You know, God, our families are under attack. God, the families in our city. I said, we're going to pray on the basis of offense, on the basis of actually momentum. We're going to pray that families become God's weapon and God's instrument. Literally, families will be so blessed. The people in our community will be saying, what is it about you? What is it about your family? Why why have you got? You see, we want to see the same thing, and that's my prayer for you today. Get God inside, breathing. Give Him first place, the firstness of God. Seek ye first the kingdom, the kingdom, the dominion, the lordship of Christ, and all these things are added. I teach my church. Firstness is not lineal. It's not like this chronological progression. Firstness is the hub of a wheel where every spoke of life, the cosmos, life, is attached. If God is at the center, it's not first in a chronological sense. Well, I've, I've dedicated this to God, now I'll go and build it. No, no, it's a sense of, is he always at the hub? So what does it mean? You know, it's, it's a simple second part to this message. But man, there's no limit. I know this morning, the thought of finding the gold, the thought of, of unpacking that potential that's in every relationship should really have excited you enough that you can't wait to get out of here and do this. Yeah. right? But I'd have done you a huge misjustice if all I'd said to you was now go and just build as high as you want. What I've now done in this simple time is shown you God's way. Yeah. Yeah. Get him breathing in it. And that's what I want us to do for a moment. I want the worship team just to come back, and just for a few minutes, just the next five, seven minutes, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start to call out and call into areas of our life God's presence. We're going to start to call into these areas and call out from them God's purpose to realize. You know, in church life, often we'll pray things, we'll declare things, we'll Pastor will get us to say, come on, guys, agree with me on this. Let's declare this. Let's prophesy this. And sometimes some of us think it's just words. Let me just share this last thought with you to show you what the power of declaration does. Have you ever heard of a thing called sonic bloom? Not sonic boom, but sonic bloom. It's a really interesting phenomena. It was discovered about 10 years ago by two Christian biologists. It's interesting, we're talking about biology today. They decided to try and find a way to overcome world hunger by finding a way to uh, maximize the production of crops without genetically modifying and screwing with them, right? The concept was, Surely if this is God's creation, without having to sort of mess with it, there's a way we can produce more. And the thing that had captured their attention was studies that had been done that wherever there was birdsong, crops produced greater yields. And for years, they could not figure out why that was. The reason why is the technology they had could not show them what they were eventually able to see 10 years ago. You know when you wake up in the morning and these birds are singing and chirping and it's called the dawn chorus. What studies discovered was that where that has been lost because of deforestation, industrialization, etc., though crops are still growing with nutrients and air and all this, though the atmosphere is present, it never yields the same crops as where there's bird song. And it's only about 10 years ago they had the technology to discover why. They always knew that plants receive a lot from the soil and a certain amount from the atmosphere. But with the highest level scientific microscopes they've now got, they have discovered within the cell of every cell on a plant leaf is a tiny little thing that before they couldn't even see called a stomata. If you Google it and see images later, it looks literally like an eyelid. It's this microscopic element within a cell that actually opens up. And the degree in which it opens up determines how much it receives from the atmosphere of nutrients and nitrogen and all the things it feeds off. But they've discovered that it's not light, that it opens it to receive. They've discovered it's only one thing, sound, the vibration of sound. And they've discovered But the sound of the bird song, the trill of the birds, the stimulus of that one particular sound causes the opening of the stomata. Do you realize that every morning at dawn when the birds go into chorus of singing and trilling, they are literally calling out what they they shall eat. They're calling out their own supper. They're literally calling out the seeds that will grow by the sound of the bird song flourishing, the vibration causes the stomata to open. The crops receive more. If you want to Google this out of interest, the studies have shown that in an area even under scientific control in hothouses with equal, equal sun, equal nitrogen, equal facility, one with bird song playing, one without in the morning, dawn, one will create between 40 and 100% greater yield than the other. The birds are singing for their supper. They're prophesying for their supper. They're singing over the fields what they shall eat in six months, three months, two months. Every morning they're contributing to what they receive. Did you know when you stand in a moment and start speaking and declaring into your family, into your career, into your church, and you're calling out God's promises, it's like the spiritual principle where you are stimulating what is in this atmosphere to be received. I want you to stand with me now. And I want a sonic bloom to come from your mouth. As Pastor Nadia said earlier, some are extroverts, some aren't. And you're like, oh no, I'll just just react. I'll just rest. I'll just. No, no, if you're that bird, you're going to go hungry. You're called to call it out. You don't have to shout. Some do. Good. But you've got to say something. You've got to stimulate something. You've got to start prophesying. Martin, I've got an ordinary marriage. No, no. I declare, God, you've blessed me with the most amazing partner. God, my life will be filled with the joy of seeing her or him realizing their potential. God, you've blessed me with this business. I speak life. So right now, I want you to take some areas of the cosmos that you need to overcome. I want over the next four or five minutes, whilst the band starts to play, And eventually we'll start to sing. But first, I want us to declare, speak into these areas. God, put a temple at the center. God, bring your presence. I release the presence of God. Come on, church. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.